Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool senior analysts Tim Hansen, James Early, and Rich Griefner. Guys, good to see you. Good Hello, to Chris. see you, Chris. Hey, Chris. Coming up later in the show, we've got Carl Quintanilla, one of the hosts of CNBC's Squawk Box, talking about the new documentary he's been working on. We've also got the latest from FedEx, Johnson & Johnson, and the annual list of the top brands in the world. Plus, as always, an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin with the big macro. At a Senate hearing earlier this week, Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner got some tough questions about our trade policy with China. Warren Buffett ruled out a double-dip recession. The stock market's gains so far this month have the S&P 500 back in the black for the year. And the price of gold hit yet another all-time high at $1,280 an ounce. Let's just go around the table, guys. Tim Hansen, what's your headline of the week? Well, I'm a bit of a China nerd, Chris. So I've been, <laughs> I, I've been watching the, uh, the the Geithner Senate uh, talking points about China pretty closely, mm-hmm. and it's an interesting issue. I mean, what they want is they want China to accelerate uh, the rate at which it it's, uh, allows its currency to strengthen. China doesn't want to do that, but again, it, it's a complicated issue. You know, we're entering the political season. We talked about this uh, recently on the show, also. And the point is, you know. If you're a textile worker in Alabama, you want uh, China's currency to strengthen pretty fast. If sure. you're a textile worker in Guangdong province, you don't, But <laughs> because both people want to be employed. So it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. James Early? Chris, leave it to Tim Geithner to bring a water gun to a gunfight. I mean, <laughs> we need to get much tougher on this on this China issue. It's been on the table for almost a decade, and we still haven't done anything about it. I think China is thinking, well, look, if the U.S. declares us a manipulator, they're going to import less of our stuff. If we raise our currency... They're going to also import less of our stuff, but we still need to declare them a manipulator and, and really hit them where it hurts, which, which is their pocketbook. Well, you know, it's a tricky issue. I mean, because if you do that, it, it, there's a lot of thought. It's a very complicated issue. I mean, remember, China um, happens to be our largest creditor at this point, And if we label them a currency manipulator and they decide to and, and we stop importing their stuff, that reduces their ability to buy our debt. And it's a bit of an academic issue. But... Our government right now is, is being subsidized by the Chinese and all of our spending priorities. That dries up, and we have some other problems on our hands. Ch- China owns 5% of the U.S. debt, yeah, which, which is a lot. I mean, it's the biggest foreign ownership stake uh, ahead of Japan. But I still have to say, I think that, that in a war, which, which I wouldn't want, tr- uh, a trade war, I should say. <laughs> so let me be very clear about that. A trade war, China would come out the net loser here. That escalated pretty quickly. <laughs> Rich Griefner, what was your headline for the week? Uh, well, Tim's a China nerd. I'm a bit of a Buffett nerd. And uh, I was surprised this week to see Buffett come out and practically guarantee that the U.S. will not have a double-dip recession. He was pretty emphatic about that. So uh, Buffett says, uh, I've seen sentiment turn sour in the economy over the last three months or so. However, he's not seeing that in Berkshire's businesses. And that's something, you know, he's got his fingers in a lot of pies. Berkshire owns something like 80 companies. Mm-hmm. So he's got a pretty good sense of what's going on. However, when I look at the data... I don't see anything to justify being as sanguine as, as Buffett is. What is his track record like when it comes to making these sort of broad, sweeping I mean, economic the hack. Predi- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think he doesn't care at this point. He's making all kinds of... <laughs> well, actually, uh, Chris, that's a great question. His track record's uh, excellent. Uh, back in 1974, Buffett said, now is the time to invest and get rich. He was correct. In 1979, he said, now is the time to buy stocks. The stock market went on a 20-year bull run. Uh, then in 1999, he pretty much called the peak of that bull run. Mm-hmm. He said stocks are investors in stocks today are expecting too much, and they were. And in October 2008, of course, he said, buy American, I am. 
and we experienced a huge rally. But didn't he endorse the new Coke? Okay. <laughs> Um, Rich, as you mentioned, Berkshire Hathaway, 80 companies or, or in, that, sure, sure. in that range, uh, ranging from everything from, you know, Geico Insurance to railroads uh, to Seize C- Candy. Seize sure. Candy. Um, is Berkshire in any way a proxy for the broad economy? Uh, I think it is in the fact that, so Buffett says, you know, I'm hiring more people uh, this month than I was last month. I hired more people last month than I did the month before. What he's neglecting to mention is he fired... Uh, 17,000 workers in 2008 and 2009. So, yes, I do think he's a good proxy for the U.S. economy. Don't bury research in motion. It's not dead yet. On Thursday, the BlackBerry maker reported better-than-expected profits, and the shares popped on the news. James Hurley, I, I know you're a big Apple guy, so you're, you're, you're probably not you know, packing a BlackBerry torch, but uh, what did you make of that? Chris, week? let me tell you how it is. Um, in their recent quarter, REM looked good in every way. Uh, except actually adding BlackBerry subscribers. And that's like saying everything was good about the restaurant except the food. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's slightly less dead than analysts thought, but, but less dead is not, is not good. But it's, it does still lead the U.S. smartphone market. I mean, it, it, it's a little, I mean, for someone like me who doesn't actually have a smartphone, just looking at the landscape, it's a little bit of a disconnect to see the market leader um, basically being dismissed by everyone. Well, you know, the uh, Rim CEO went on a bit of a rant on the uh, the call after these earnings. He did. People are people are uh, very skeptical of Rim uh, for a lot of good reasons. Technology is clearly inferior to what's being offered by um, Apple, the iPhone, and the Android operating system. But he had he had at least one quote in that rant that was worth listening to, and it was. Because if you make these things so high-end, talking about smartphones, yep. that they're not addressable to the market or that they're so consumptive of the networks, which, as we all know, are pretty strained, uh, that they can't scale, well, that's not what we originally designed our business for. Translation, you know, BlackBerry is a basic product helping people do basic things. It's not trying to be a smartphone. And there was a fascinating article this week in AdAge about some myths about the mobile business. And one of the ones that they, they pointed out was that smartphones may not end up dominating the mobile market. They compared them to DVRs, you know, the TiVo, those digital video recorders, which were rapidly adopted early on by people, and they got up to 30% market share really, really quickly. But then it stalled because, you know, 70% of the people out there weren't willing to buy them, pay the subscription fee, and also just didn't really care to have that much technology in their house. So there is an, there is an idea out there and, and that as you go down market, people won't need iPhones, and that gives BlackBerry a, a place that they can hold on. But isn't, isn't the BlackBerry still a smartphone? I mean, doesn't that actually hurt Rim more if the smartphone market doesn't grow quite as well, much? Well, I think it's just the price point and the service contracts. And, you know, obviously the network point is a really interesting one. I think one we've talked about in the past in this forum, which is that these networks are strained. And as people download more and more data, right now you get to pay a flat rate. You know, mm-hmm. I pay $20 a month for my Android, all I can eat data. Well, what, is, what if everybody does that and the network can't handle it? So what I think the, the, the phone operators are going to have to do at some point is start charging people per the amount of data downloaded. And when that happens, all of a sudden listening to Pandora on your iPhone 24 hours a day <laughs> stops to be so economically attractive. Uh, you, you mentioned the, uh, the rant that the CEO uh, from Research in Motion went on. Well, you know those Canadians. <laughs> I don't actually know if he's Canadian. Email. I was just going to say, Hansen. the company is Canadian. GHanson.com. <laughs> uh, but I want to bring in our, our man behind the glass, Steve Roydo, because uh, one of the things, one of the phrases that he kept using on the conference call during this rant was this phrase, resolve the paradox. Um, Steve, not to put you on the spot, but um, do you have a paradox that you'd like to see resolved? Absolutely. Um, music television, which 
does not actually play music anymore. It's just great reality programming. <laughs> so you're saying MTV needs a rebranding? I believe, yeah, and I think they may have even done that. I believe music television has been removed. It's just MTV. You're Meaningless listen- letters now. <laughs> you're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're going through some of the big stories of the week. Earlier this year, Johnson & Johnson recalled millions of children's Tylenol products. There are now reports that the company may have known about the problems and planned to remove the drugs from stores months before the official recall. James Early, Johnson & Johnson is a stock that you follow closely in the service you run. What did you think of this news? Well, Chris, yeah, it is kind of like a made-for-TV movie. I mean, I'll get the serious part out first. This news has been buzzing for a few months. It doesn't change how bad it is. I think their, their consumer chief, Colleen Goggins, is going to leave next year over this. And now the House uh, Committee on Oversight and Government Reform wants to host uh, CEO Bill Weldon uh, again on oh, well, the first time on exactly, <laughs> September 30th. Uh, but the funny part is they apparently paid some company to go out Pretending to be mystery, these people went out pretending to be mystery shoppers, buying up the entirety of of this J and J stock. And it's just, as we were talking before the show, it's just amazing. You can actually find companies staffed and ready to participate in a clandestine recall <laughs> in the U.S. It just it blows my mind. Yeah, and 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 just to be clear, this is this is all according to documents that were released this week uh, by lawmakers. And yeah, to your point, the the, the documents are saying that this company was going to go out to 400 locations across the country and just, like, I don't know, just fill up the shopping well, cart. Think, think, yeah, think about the absurdity of this. This is some guy, I don't know, dressed in a hooded sweatshirt, rolling into the aisle and just with his cart and just pulling everything off the shelves, going out to check out and, and buying, you know, $400, $500 worth of Tylenol <laughs> on, on the spot. Which is ironic because apparently contractors were instructed by Johnson & Johnson to act, quote, like regular customers. With very bad <laughs> headaches. Well, uh, another reason why this is ironic is because Johnson & Johnson is the classic case study of how to successfully conduct a right. product recall. They're the gold standard. If you recall, uh, back in the early 80s, yep. you know, some nut in the Chicago area poisoned like five or six bottles of Tylenol. J&J conducted a nationwide recall. They, they overreacted to ensure that their brand remained untarnished. So do you think that this phantom recall, which is how it's being referred to in some press reports, do you think this phantom recall has the potential to undo that you know that gold standard for Johnson & Johnson? Chris, a little bit. It is looking worse. I'll have to admit that. You know, they have this. They have a contact lens recall. They also have a hip replacement recall. I mean, who wants to have their hip <laughs> recall, right? Um, <sighs> but... But Jane Jay's a really, really, really big boat, and I think it's going to take more than this to rock it. Coming up, what companies have got the strongest brands in the world? Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in the studio with Tim Hansen, James Early, and Rich Griefner as we dig into some of the companies making headlines this week. On Friday, President Obama introduced Elizabeth Warren as a special advisor to help set up the new Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Warren released a statement warning banks that the time for hiding tricks and traps in the fine print is over. Tim Hansen. What do you think about the new cop on the beat? Well, you know, I- I'm still reeling a little bit from that Elizabeth Warren rap video that came out a couple <laughs> weeks ago, portraying her as the sheriff coming in to, to, to clean up now town. You, you were mentioning this during the break, that there actually is a rap video. Oh, you can go to YouTube. Video. You, you watch can, a different genre of MTV. You can, there is no more MTV. We learned <laughs> that right. in the last second. No, there is Music only television. MTV. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so she's portrayed as a sheriff coming in to clean up town, and that's certainly the perception that 
the businesses she's coming in to sort of regulate have of her, which which has led to a lot of um, opposition to her in this role. Um, interestingly, uh, you know, I'm 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 torn on the on the on the appointment, not so much because I have any animosity towards her, but because I really question the need for this this bureau at all. Um, the reason I think that I think you know this cheap credit thing we had over the past couple of years, you know, think about it as compared to the war on drugs, you know, mm-hmm. we can attack and attack and attack the supply side, you know, go after the people who are making these products or go after the drug dealers. But until you attack the demand side and make sure that people are, are consuming more responsibly, you know, there's always going to be someone there to sell you meth. James? Well, well, Tim goes back to his bunker after the show. I, I will make <laughs> the other point that, that an ounce of prevention is, is worth a pound of cure here. And I'm not for big government, to be very clear. But, you know, if you look at the Community Reinvestment Act, if you, if you look at, at some of the causes of, of the subprime crisis, you had people getting into things where they, they shouldn't have been. People, by nature, by their by their, by their just nature, I guess, uh, don't like to read the fine print. And I think that's, I think they're always going to be like that. So I do think we have to protect uh, people from themselves to some degree, as elitist as that sounds. All right, let's move on to some mixed news from FedEx. On Thursday, FedEx announced first quarter net income doubled and the company raised guidance, but also announced it's cutting 1,700 jobs in the U.S. Rich Griefner, what would you make of the mixed news? Well, I mean, it's not very mixed news, uh, Chris. It depends on your perspective. Like Tim was saying, if you're a factory worker in Guangdong province, was it? Yeah. Guangdong province, you're happy. If you're a factory worker in Alabama, you're you're probably not pleased. That's not very mixed. That's uh, black and white. Yeah, black <laughs> and white. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, yeah, FedEx fired 1,700 U.S. workers. So, again, going back to the Buffett uh, segment earlier, I, I just don't see the signs of improvement. Uh, for FedEx, I think the long-term growth drivers for the business are very strong. I think uh, international uh, economies are going to improve. I think increased international trade will be a boon for them. I also think uh, there's a trend towards e-commerce, which works well for a shipping company such mm-hmm. as FedEx. But in the meantime, the company is still pretty levered to the U.S. economy. And the U.S. economy, you know, despite what Warren Buffett says, I, I don't see it looking too healthy. So, Tim Hansen? Well, this, you know, this is a theme that's been emerging across a lot of large U.S. companies, which is that they're seeing weakness in their earnings at home and strength in their earnings abroad. And I think that that lends uh, some credibility to the theory that you should be a, a global investor and a global business when it comes to figuring out what you want to do next year and beyond. James? And that's how I travel internationally. I just FedEx myself. <laughs> so much cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're going through some of the big company news this week. Interbrand came out with the annual list of the top 100 global brands. Coca-Cola, IBM, and Microsoft made up the top three. Other notables, Apple, Google, and Amazon had some of the biggest gains on the list. BP, which had been on the list in previous years, fell off completely. Guys? Well, why did that happen? Yeah, was there any news related <laughs> to that? <laughs> must BP have missed something. You might have heard a little something earlier in the year. Not a great year for BP, Is particularly right? from a brand standpoint. Um, just as investors, um, what, what, how important is a brand to you, and what did you make of the list? Well, brands are good to have. They're valuable. They obviously, especially when you're a consumer company, you'll notice most of the brands on the list are very consumer-oriented. Mm-hmm. Coke, at number one, sticks out. You know, this is a global business that's succeeding in many, many countries using its flagship Coca-Cola beverage and, and other well-known beverages. Sprite has made the list as well. That's a Coke product. So brand matters, and, and brand has value. Rich? Yeah, and I, I echo Tim's statement. Yeah, a brand has value, but it, you also have to support that brand. And I'll point out that, that every company has a brand. I mean, Jordache Jeans has a brand, but <laughs> it's, you know, it's not as valuable now as it was back in the day. Uh, <laughs> Those are fighting words. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed James is wearing Jordache right now. Sorry about that. Acid wash. 
But uh, a name that sticks out to, to support that is McDonald's clocks in at number six. And right now, the brand's very healthy internationally as well as here in the U.S. But if you recall, not so long ago, back in the 2002-2003 timeframe, I mean, McDonald's brand was tarnished. It was known for being dirty, poor customer service. James, what did you make of well, the list? Well, you know, Chris, this is, this is, I guess, a survey conducted by some consulting company. But as an investor, I can say that the point of a brand is to let you charge more than you could otherwise charge without the brand. So, for example, you buy Coca-Cola, you pay a bit more than you for some generic or, or no-name brand soda. It's, mm-hmm. it's basically all costs the same. But I have to question this list because number 40 is Citigroup. And I don't know that I would pay extra <laughs> to, to have the privilege of patronizing Citigroup. Well, there are other questionable ones in the top down. Nokia is up there. I think, is Nokia ahead of Apple? Nokia is way far ahead, ahead of Apple. Apple. That seems 17. That seems odd. There are a couple more quirky ones that stick out. HP in the top 10. IBM number two. I don't even know what IBM does anymore. I mean, not computers, not software. <laughs> Tim, what about some brands that are stronger overseas than they'd be here at home? Well, one of the ones that popped up on this uh, top 100 is Kentucky Fried Chicken, which I think among American consumers is sort of considered an also brand. I mean, you don't have a lot of people running out to go to KFC or take their hot date to KFC (laughs) on Friday. Maybe James. Maybe that was my problem. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But in China, for example, KFC is a huge national, nationwide brand. And uh, it's actually, you know, the the food is priced higher than than what you would consider fast or street food over there. So it actually is sort of an impressive date look. So interesting how those things happen. Five years from now, what's going to be higher on the list in terms of brand strength, Apple or Google? I would say uh, Google. They just they have their, their hands in more cookie jars right now. James, I'm going with KFC. <laughs> Rich, KFC.com. Uh, I'll also go with Google. I mean, Apple has a very strong brand, but in order for that brand to still be strong in five years, you're going to have to come out with the i the i something, the i TV, i awesome. All right, the guys will be back later in the show to talk about the stocks that are on their radar, but we want to hear from you. Drop us an email at radio at fool.com. What do you think is going to be a bigger brand five years from now, Google or Apple? That's radio at fool.com. Type in what you want to know. Get that search engine up and ready, set, and here we go. Find out how to build a house or send a message to your mom. Google knows just what you mean, even if you spelled it wrong. It has worked a billion times, and you know it will work for you. Can't sue me for slander because what I said is true. You can Google it, oh yeah. You can Google it, oh yeah. You can Google it, oh yeah. You can Google it, you can Google it, you can Google it, oh yeah. Coming up, CNBC host Carl Quintanilla joins us to talk a little trash. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. My guest this week is one of the hosts of CNBC's Squawk Box, and he's the host of a new CNBC documentary, Trash Incorporated, The Secret Life of Garbage. It airs on Wednesday, September 29th at 9 p.m. Carl Quintanilla, thanks for being here. Good to see you, Chris. Uh, You know, most people... I think, are like me in that we think about trash once a week when it gets collected. Uh, what is it about garbage that made you want to investigate this industry? I think, I think the, the genesis of it probably came from watching the performance of some of these stocks, even as other stocks were getting trounced. Um, we wondered why, why was there such resilience in, uh, in, in these few public names, even as the rest of the market was getting hammered. Um, and the more we looked at it, the more we realized exactly your point, and that is, it may be 
the most misunderstood economic commodity out there um, because it ends up having a surprising amount of value after it's gone. But most people's experience with it is exactly as you described. You put it on the curb, it goes away, you have no idea how far it goes or how much it costs to go to that place or who's paying for it to go there. Um, that all lent itself to uh, what turned out to be an extremely rich look at a, a very strange industry. I thought maybe you had you know, ticked off your bosses at CNBC and they said, <laughs> I know, let's send Carl to a landfill halfway around the world. <laughs> try, try five landfills. <laughs> um, that was, you know, can I say it was pleasant? No. <laughs> Did I go through multiple pairs of shoes and pants? Yes. Um, landfills are, I mean, look, they are, a, they are ridiculously um, advanced from an engineering standpoint. Uh, and they even managed to find ways to uh, minimize the odor. But uh, was it, you know, would I want to spend, uh, you know, the rest of the afternoon there, even with you? The answer is probably no. Uh, some of the numbers in your documentary are astonishing. Uh, garbage in America is at an all-time high, 250 million tons a year, more than four pounds a day per person for everyone in the United States. Um, what surprised you the most when you were working on this documentary? Well, I think, well, two things, I guess. One is, you know, we all hear about the NIMBY problem, right? Not in my backyard. There's an old mm-hmm. saying in the, in the industry, everybody wants it picked up and nobody wants it put down. So the degree to which towns in America, I mean, it's incredible, it's a municipal economic story, but a lot of these small towns in America are making a bargain to bring these landfills in, take a cut of the fees, and basically boosting their local budgets by 50%. I mean, that pays for a lot of little league fields mm-hmm. and, uh, and community theaters. Um, so that NIMBY problem seems to be fading, which is really interesting. The other thing is that as we've gone through this economic um, rough spot, trash levels, the stuff, the amount of stuff you and I throw away has obviously flattened out. Commercial trash, mostly stuff that they used to pick up from, from housing and commercial real estate, that's obviously cratered. So where does the industry make up the difference um, for that volume, that lack of that loss of revenue? It turns out they're finding ways to turn trash, in most cases, into energy, just like just like Dr. Emmett Brown does at the end of Back to the Future, where he pulls up into DeLorean, puts trash in Mr. Fusion, and flies away. That, that ended up not being that far from the truth. Um, we visit this one BMW plant where half the electric grid is powered by methane gas. That blew me away. I had no idea that they were that so far along uh, in terms of energy generation with trash. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Carl Quintanilla from CNBC Squawk Box and host of a new documentary, Trash Incorporated, The Secret Life of Garbage. Uh, a couple of the leaders in this industry are companies like Waste Management and Republic Services. Um, at The Motley Fool, as investors, we like companies that, among other things, have a moat around them. Um, these companies seem like they're in pretty good shape in that regard. Are there companies out there? that are poised to challenge them in any significant way? Um, well, if you don't mind me talking some economic vernacular, absolutely, it would be very difficult for a new player to come in and have their kind of vertical integration. I mean, there are, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of private collectors, because a truck, you and I could go out and buy a truck for 250 k and we could start collecting trash in New York City and get paid, right? Sure. But we would have to eventually pay someone else to park it, wherever it went, into the landfill. 
what, what, what Waste Management and Republic and those guys, the big guys, have is that chain where they own the landfill, they own the trucks. Uh, in some cases, they either own or contract the rail. Um, that is where all of their cash generation comes from. And as you know, Chris, that cash is so um, flush and so attractive. And that's why the industry for years was a hotbed of organized crime. Because it, it was an efficient way to launder money just because of the sheer amount of cash flow on these, these companies. It's incredible. When Warren Buffett came out earlier this year with the annual letter for Berkshire Hathaway, um, the thing that caught my attention was that the position that he had increased the most in his holdings was Republic Services. He had, <laughs> he had more than doubled it. I mean, is that is that as good an indication as any that this is this is an industry investors should be looking at? Well, you know, far be it from you or me to speak for Buffett, but. <laughs> When you look at that position and you look at Burlington Northern, I mean, his bet, and granted, it's, you know, he's thinking on a time horizon that might not be, that might not coincide with a lot of investors, but his bet long term is a play on goods moving around the country, uh, whether they are going to the consumer or away from the consumer in the case of garbage. Um, that is a, that's a thesis that he has stuck with. It's been years now. And you're right, he absolutely doubled down with Republic and with Burlington. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see if it turns out to be right, but <laughs> given his track record, who, who wants to bet against him? You're listening to Motley Fool Money. My guest is Carl Quintanilla from CNBC. Earlier this year, you were in Greece covering the protests and the debt crisis. Uh, earlier this week, Prime Minister Papandreou said Greece can meet the demands of international lenders and avoid defaulting on loans without needing to impose more austerity measures. Do you think he's right? Um, I don't know. I, mean, I, was, I was there in May, and people's heads were spinning. Um, we really didn't know. They sort of where we were on our Lehman weekend, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so much of the very near-term future was cloudy. Then we had the ECB come in, and uh, we got through the rest of the summer. I, I think the bigger challenge right now is going to be... Um, changing an entire culture and way of life, which, if you've read Michael Lewis's piece in, in Vanity Fair, uh, is, is going to be difficult, and I'm not sure that any, any civilization in our lifetime has had to reinvent itself like that, to revamp your tax system to where it actually collects taxes, to convince uh, teachers that, um, that benefits and pensions are, are, are going to change, and they're going to change for good. Um, I'll say this, though. At the time, people were angry, and they were angry not because, um, uh, not because the, the, the government was in trouble. Uh, they were angry that the rest of the world was trying to school them in how to manage their economy. And I remember telling people, um, you don't have a lot of legs to stand <laughs> on right now, so you might want to maybe get a little humility. Um, it's gonna, I, I can't wait to go back and see if things have changed. If, if you're looking to borrow money from us, you might want to rethink <laughs> your tone of voice. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, obviously, every day people are trying to read the tea leaves of our own economy, and there's certainly no shortage of information out there, government reports on jobs, manufacturing, housing. In your role at CNBC, are there some numbers that you give more weight to than others? Well, um, let's see. 
Every, I mean, when durables roll around, we we tend to look at um, business spending X aircraft. That's a favorite that sometimes gets buried. I think um, jobless claims obviously are like jobless claims to me right now are sort of like Sandra Bullock. I mean, everybody, it's like they, they were sort of hot, then they sort of weren't. Now there is no one who would not want that interview, right? <laughs> um, it will be interesting to see how long that lasts. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Others that, that kind of come and go, we're pretty, the, the flow is so, um, is so rushed of, of just numbers and data every day that you really have to pick your favorites. But I guess at the moment it would be something regarding durables and um, and, and and jobless claims. I, I think the consumer data, uh, retail sales, confidence is overdone, because I think people have underestimated the degree to which emerging markets are going to feed revenues here in the U.S. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. We're talking with Carl Quintanilla from CNBC Squawk Box. All right, Carl. Before I let you get away, we have to close with a round of buy, sell, or hold. Uh, I'm, I'm nervous already. No, no, this is going to be fun. Uh, like you, I have two daughters myself, so buy, sell, or hold the time-honored tradition of fathers intimidating guys who want to date their daughters. <laughs> I'm definitely long. I'm a buy on that. There's a great country song, I forget the title lot right now, but it's about a guy who's talking to this young kid who comes to pick up his daughter, and he says, have fun. Uh, stay out as much as you like. I'll be at home cleaning this gun. <laughs> <laughs> Buy, sell, or hold the New York Yankees making it back to the World Series this year. I'll say buy, and I can't say I'm thrilled about that. Really? You're, you're, you're not a Yankee fan? I, I, I respect them, um, but I, I, I'm part of that group that says they, they bought a lot um, when others couldn't, and I would love to see my Cubs. <laughs> I'll, I'll be waiting for a while. You're a long-suffering Cubs fan. Yes. Uh, you can purchase these on CNBC's website, buy, sell, or hold Squawk Box mugs. I'll tell you this. That, this is the trade of the century. Definitely buy, um, it, because you may not be able to get them. Production may not be able to keep up with demand. Now, I have to ask, I was looking at the mugs, it, and they've got uh, cartoon drawings of you and Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Um, are you seeing? Are you guys seeing any of that money? Are you getting a cut of that? <laughs> um, if there's a check on the way, it must have gotten lost in the mail. I think they nailed Joe. They definitely nailed Becky. I think his eyesight must have been impaired when he did me, because <laughs> I look nothing like that. But I'm not going to complain. And finally, People Magazine once named you one of the 50 most beautiful people in the world, so buy, sell, or hold the likelihood that your Squawk Box co-host, Joe Kernan, will one day receive that honor. I'm going to say buy only because I have to sit next to him <laughs> for 15 hours a week. <laughs> the new CNBC documentary is Trash Incorporated, The Secret Life of Garbage. It airs Wednesday, September 29th at 9 p.m., so set your DVRs, people. Carl Cantania, thanks so much for being here. Chris, thanks. I love it because it's trash. Oh, I love trash. Anything dirty or dingy or dusty. Anything ragged or rotten or rusty. Yes, I love trash. It's a more rotten stuff. Coming up, Philip Morris did it. Arthur Anderson did it. And now, high-fructose corn syrup wants in on the act. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. You're the best things in life, 
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill, and back in the studio with me are a trio of senior analysts, Tim Hanson, James Early, and Rich Griefner. Guys, one story this week that we did not get to earlier in the show, the Corn Refiners Association has petitioned the FDA to change the name of high fructose corn syrup to corn sugar, because apparently that's how bad the reputation of high fructose corn syrup is. Um, so I wanted to use this as a, as a really cheap excuse to just talk about rebranding in general. Um, Tim, we've talked about this on the show before, how like Philip Morris rebrands itself as Altria, Altria sure. but just here in the U.S., overseas... Aren't they still Philip? Or still? Well, Phil- they're still Philip Morris International, and they're they're still selling Marlboro cigarettes, and and well, they still sell Marlboros here in the U.S. But you know, the the key to rebranding is that something has really negative connotation, like high fructose corn syrup, right. does, and you change it into something fun and, and lovable and cuddly, like corn sugar. Who doesn't love corn sugar? So my proposed <laughs> rebranding, I think. There's a country that's fallen on a really tough time sort of on the national stage right now. That's Russia. Okay. You know, Russia rebranded not too long ago. Sure. From the USSR mm-hmm. to Russia. And all of a sudden, they're a democracy. And, and speaking of, that was a strong brand, yeah. the USSR. Well, right. And they, but they, yeah, they had a nice run. They got Boris Yeltsin, who was very lovable and cuddly. <laughs> but now, you know, this the Putin and corruption, yeah. and they've got a problem on there. So I'm going to propose Russia rebrand itself as the North Pole. Bring back Putin or bring back Yeltsin yeah. in the Santa Claus role, Santa Claus. And, and I think they might see a, uh, a turnaround of that country's fortune. That's strong. I like that. Well, you know, you got a lot of mail too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Russia's been holding back the brick these last five years, so I think they need to do something about <laughs> and that. And you know what? I mean, that's that's gonna. I'll tell you where that's gonna help tourism. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. when kids start hearing about the North Pole, everybody's gonna want to go. Families are all. How the many eight-year-olds want to visit yeah. Moscow today? Very few. <laughs> <laughs> you rebrand that to the North Pole, make the Kremlin into the 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 elves workshop. I like They've it. They've got something. James Early, you what know, do you got? Chris, I want to start a business that sort of just arbitrages brands from one country to another. I, I found out that in China, somebody is selling Pabst Blue Ribbon, which here is sort of like the cheapest beer you can get. Bite your tongue, James Early. <laughs> <laughs> selling it for $44 a bottle, putting it as this exclusive, quote-unquote, Blue Ribbon you know, d- drink that is probably served in Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, <laughs> so, you wonder how many other things are like that. Value is all relative. I'm sorry. Pabst Blue Ribbon is going for $44 $44, a Chris. We could have been millionaires had we thought of this. It comes in a fancier bottle, though. It is a little bit they, nicer they've bottle. They've dressed it up. They've, although, you know, consider, you know, Corona is an example of a beer in Mexico that's sort of not expensive. And then you, you, it comes in the United States, and it's it's one of, it's in the premium premium category, technically. It's on the brand list. It it's is. on the top 100 brand list. Sorry. Rich Griefner, what do you got for rebranding? Uh, I'd actually like to rebrand a person, Chris, and okay. that, that individual is Tiger Woods. Uh, I think we all know a Tiger's fallen on some hard times, and I, I think it's just because he's not being true to who he really is. Oh, boy. I mean, we, <laughs> we've seen the real Tiger, right? He came back, tries to present himself as a family man. The wife's gone. The kids are gone. Embrace who you really are, Tiger. We'll so, see, the interesting thing what Nike has to say about that. They're probably going to dictate how Tiger Woods brands himself next year more than Tiger Woods will. What do you think? Do you think he just goes with the, the single first name, Eldrick? You think it's just that, like Cher? I think he's got to go to something like El Tigre and get it, get exotic. I like that. <laughs> Steve Broda, you have a rebranding for me? I would love to rebrand Radio Shack. Uh, <laughs> everything about Radio Shack just sounds awful. <laughs> the word radio, which sounds somewhat outdated, I know that's probably blasphemous considering what we're doing right now. I was going to say, considering <laughs> what we're doing right uh, now, yeah. But And the word shack, neither of them just feel very, you know, current. How do you feel about Podcast Hut? I like Podcast Hut, except for Hut. Maybe Podcast Laser. <laughs> podcast Condominium? Exactly. That's great. Plaza? How about that? Podcast, podcast Plaza. Plaza. Alliteration. Have you, have you like gotten that website? Have you secured that URL? I will do that 
right now. Our checks from Radio Shack now, Podcast Plaza, should be rolling in any minute now. Any minute. All right, let's uh, go around the table, talk about the stocks on our radar. And Tim Hansen, we'll start with you. So this is one I'm I'm watching very closely, and I think other people should add to their watch list. And it is a a Japanese tool manufacturer that all the handy people out there are going to know, and that's Makita which is a uh, maker sure. of power tools and drills and, and woodworking um, equipment. And the reason I'm watching is it's a Japanese country, uh, company. And as we all know, the yen right now is strengthening dramatically for a variety of reasons. This hurts Makita because their costs are denominated in yen, but they're selling in things like dollars and Chinese RMB and whatnot. So uh, my expectation is that people are going to notice that and the stock is going to drop. But Makita is a uh, superior brand, uh, superior company, great products, and, you know, if it drops on this yen strengthening news, I think it'll be one to pick up. And what's the ticker symbol? The ticker is MKTAY, and that's on the NASDAQ, Makita. James Early? Chris, I'm also going tool today with Illinois Tool Works. The ticker here is ITW. It's not so much just tools, but, but a lot of miscellaneous industrial things. Uh, 3% yield just raised its dividend 10%, which got my attention. I have not done a valuation on it yet, so, so it's not a, a, an endorsement per se, but it's an interesting stock. 18% return on equity and 12 cents of every dollar they make gets converted to free cash flow. Rich Riefner? Yeah, Chris, we were talking about trash earlier. Uh, I've got a company that I like that plays in that niche. Uh, it's called Darling International, uh, ticker symbol D-A-R. And uh, despite the cute name, it's actually quite disgusting. It is a pretty cute name, though. <laughs> well, the business, frankly, businesses don't get much grosser than this. Uh, what Darling does is it operates processing centers where it takes animal carcasses, uh, used oh. oil and grease from restaurants. You can probably stop there. No, right? no, no, it gets better, Tim. <laughs> and it takes it and renders it into products that people actually want to use. Soap, soap, hot dogs. Stuff, soap fertilizer, <laughs> not hot dogs. That is pretty disgusting. This is like Fight Club. It is a this little is bit. This is the like Tyler Durden company. In many ways. All right, and I'm sorry, one more time, the ticker symbol? It's uh, D-A-R, Darling International. And the reason why I like it is these are disgusting services. No one's graduating from college looking to make big bucks in the trash rendering industry. So uh, a monopoly sounds like what you're saying. A very strong competitive position. All right. Rich Griefner, James Early, Tim Hansen. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thanks to our special guest this week, Carl Quintanilla. The new CNBC documentary is Trash Incorporated, The Secret Life of Garbage. It airs September 29th at 9 p.m. If you missed any part of the show, you can find it at our website, motleyfoolmoney.com. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) 